Hello all and welcome to another episode of Hans's Protocol Weekly, uh, where we try and dish out actionable uh, tips and advice to protocol builders in the space and hopefully uh, highlight some emerging topics and trends across Web3. Uh, today I'm lucky enough to be hosting the founder of Redstone Finance and Warp Smart Contracts, Jakub Wojciechowski. Uh, how are you going, Jakub? I think really well. That was a nice try with my last name. So thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to see you again, our team. Yeah, that, that was definitely the part of the podcast that I was most nervous about. Um, for those guests who aren't aware, um, do you just want to do a little explainer as to what it is that you guys are working on? Uh, firstly, at Redstone, because that's where you started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then secondly, with Warp Smart Contracts now. Mm-hmm. So Redstone is an Oracle project. And Oracles are kind of service in the blockchain space that delivers data from the off-chain world to other blockchain protocols. And while building the, the Oracle infrastructure, we based part of our core system on top of the RWIP blockchain for an affordable and highly available storage. We also wanted to, to upgrade the basic storage layer, adding some adding ability to, to implement business logic, and that was the reasoning behind warp contracts. So what was it that motivated you in the first place to sort of begin an Oracle project? I guess those familiar with the space know, uh, I guess, sort of how dominant Chainlink is in the space. What sort of problem spaces did you try and address with Redstone? Yeah, so I'm in the space since 2016. I used to co-found a previous startup that was an amazing journey. It was connected to, to, to philanthropy, public services. Then, as you may expect, it's not the, the most commercially attractive idea, especially when, when there's a COVID around. So I was a freelancer doing uh, audits. I worked with a few auditing companies. And I was also uh, participating in multiple hackathons. That was the, let's say, the dawn of DeFi, DeFi summer, lots of amazing ideas. And although I got a few interesting concepts to, to implement, like the fixed interest rate protocols, like some leverage synthetic assets, etc. But I couldn't find a really good source of data. So obviously I talked to Chainlink. I think they're the amazing company. They what they do, they do in an excellent way. But there's a if you want to do something more, you can have a conversation and then unfortunately this just there is this frustrating waiting period when you need to wait like a few months for, for the data. And it's like very expensive for a small player for the newcomers to get something non-standard. So out of this frustration, after a few months, I decided to try to hack something on my own. And that was the, the motivation be, behind Reston Oracle. So I wanted to, to have a really flexible, scalable and very affordable Oracles that are targeting smaller projects. And, and any particular spaces? Were there any so, sort of price feeds that you were trying to specializing that maybe Chainlink wasn't doing? So at the moment, apart from the usual data, like with token prices, but even if in with token prices, I think it's quite easy to get the price of the blue chip coins. Like if you're interested in price of Ethereum or B2C, then definitely Chainlink is the, the place to go. But we got more tokens than, I don't know, 80 or 100. We got a like few thousand tokens. So, so that's 
how that's the place we can help providing the long tail assets in a robust and secure way. And also we provide information about stocks, uh, commodities, other financial indicators, FX exchange rate. We provide data about NFTs. We are integ recently integrated with Lens protocol that I'm super excited about. So we provide data about social activity of users. So anything you can imagine. And also we got custom feeds and that's, that's, that's fascinating and super interesting. So, so during a few hackathons, we got really, really strange and peculiar use cases. So one of the, the projects, for example, implemented a data feed to tries to answer a question if a person is dead or alive. So that was for an insurance protocol. They find a, a, a good data source, but it was like, yeah, obviously a bit scary to, to try to use it. So yeah, honestly, the, the flexibility is, is one of our main value points that we can offer. And you mentioned earlier that you'd been in the space since 2016. What was it that sort of attracted you to, to Web3 in this, this whole broader design space in the first place? It was random, so started personal reasons. Uh, I moved with my wife to, to London, UK. She was relocated and I was just bored with my previous jobs, which was in, in fintech, insurance. You know, <laughs> insurance is not the most innovative space. Unfortunately, so after a few years, I looked for something new and that was the year when the Ethereum came out. It's 2016, I just found it really, really fascinating to, to try to build something new. And then what was it, where was sort of the jump for you to, to build something in the space as well, I guess? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so out of curiosity, I participated in one of the very first hackathons. There, so I was lucky enough to be a winner, and then I found, met some friends, and, and we, we co-founded a, a startup, and it was an amazing journey since that point. And if I'm correct, you sort of incubated or began Redstone through Arweave's uh, Open Open Web Foundry. Um, would you would you mind running us through sort of your journey with with the Arweave ecosystem? What attracted you over there in the first place, and then the kind of value that you got out of participating in an accelerator slash incubator like that? Mm -hmm. So I was looking for um, good storage solution. So obviously the issue with the, the oracles at that moment was that when you put a lot of data to on-chain protocols, it's extremely expensive. So, so the bills could be in, in millions per day. So obviously that's, that was the biggest bottleneck at that point of time. And that was the, the limitation for scaling and adding new data types. So definitely the first clue was, should we store the data on chains like Ethereum? And when I did my research, there are obviously better solutions for targeted totally for data storage. So there is a Filecoin, there's also Arweave. I, I, I dig deeper into the, the Arweave white paper. The technology was like super interesting. The, that the amount of thinking they put into designing the protocol was really impressive. So I wanted to give it a try. I joined the first uh, batch of the incubator and I'm beyond happy with that. So apart from say, providing us with technical guidance, there were other classes focused on, on marketing, user acquisitions, or on how to raise funds for your company, etc. And And judging by the outcomes and other alumni, I think it was like amazing 
program and I'm, yeah, I couldn't be more happy with that. They, out of those early batches like yourself, they did, they did have a lot of success and um, fingers crossed that, that that continues with Ford research as well. You mentioned uh, the, the issue that they were trying to help you with user acquisition. Obviously, like a lot of things in this space, uh, it, it does require a, a, a very complex design. Uh, how do you go about sort of winning your first users for something as complex as an Oracle? And how, how do you know that it is customer ready? Our strategy is to get users that really feel the pain with the current solution. So simply they, they, they cannot use other Oracles because there is no, no data that they're interested into. So that's our say, first way to, to attract users. Also, as I mentioned, we are really cost efficient. So in terms of the maintenance cost, you do not need to pay for the gas to put data on chain. We've got a quite fancy technology of actually using the, the end users' transactions to piggyback an extra load of data. So from the point of view of a protocol, that's very efficient. And also, as we keep the data outside of the target chains, so it's really, it's on, on our way and we, and then it's been transferred by also distributed means like streamer. So that allows us to tap into any EVM protocol. So if you are building a DAB and you, let's say you are building that with Ethereum, but soon you want to export it to Arbitrum Optim Optimist or Avalanche, and you do not want to get through a process of integrating with a new Oracle service or checking if this Oracle is available there, etc. It's a lot of a it's a big headache, the, the expansion of the protocol. So if you can use Redstone, integrate once and then be present on any other chains, that's that's also a, a huge benefit and we, we get a very positive feedback on that feature. Mm. You mentioned earlier as well that I guess like many other builders in the space, when you're building a solution like this, each part of the stack, you need to do a lot of research yourself as the developer uh, to sort of figure out what the best solution is for you. What advice do you have for anyone trying to prioritize um, what kind of tech they want in their stack? So you mentioned you were making that decision between, say, Arweave and Filecoin. How do you go about creating the criteria for for what you want to build on? Definitely um, one advice I can give is to, to focus on the long-term vision because some of the of the protocols, they give you like quite significant, significant grants or, or support, etc. But then if you are thinking like how the solution may look like in in few years, then there are some questions. What I really like about Arweave is quite predictable. So we know what are the expected storage costs in, in a few years or even in 10 or 20 years. They got a formula to, to calculate that based on the um, low level storage costs. And that's amazing. So I know that in, in two years, that the price will be driven by the, the actual hardware cost, not the, the price of a token or the market situation, or even if the token explodes in terms of a popularity, we, we won't, wouldn't need to, to pay, let's say, 10x for the storage. So, so that's really important to, because it's, it's very expensive to switch a technology when you integrate. So let's try to focus and try to predict what will be the terms of service in, in a few years. So you, you always go in with the expectation that, that once you do pick your solution, you're staying with that solution, or at least will try as best as you can to. Yeah, I think it's, it's easy. Like, 
there is still a lot to do to to properly integrate a, a single blockchain or a single solution. So, so if you can have more assurance that it's really stable and predictable, I think that's the best for the project. Gives you a lot of peace of mind. So fast forward, so Redstone, uh, long, long after you've made the decision to build an R-Wave, uh, a bit of success, uh, gaining traction as a protocol. What was it that inspired you to s start all over and start a smart contract platform? Mm, so it, it wasn't like a separate idea or a separate project that we, we sat down and yeah, we, we want to build a, a smart contract system. So yeah, that as a next task. So it started as an internal project. We took the, the existing solution. It was called the SmartWeave. And it was like amazing idea, really, really captivating. It was proposed by, by Sam, the founder of Arweave, but it was just a prototype. So when we started using that, we thought, yeah, it's like on the theoretical level, it fits into our needs totally. But, but in practice, we needed to make a few small amendments. So we started from that. We made one improvement, another fix, another update, another improvement, and yeah, it started rolling. And then the, we found other projects that are using our implementation of the smart with, et cetera. And I think we also, we also like working on that as we've seen a lot of traction, adoption, and so it's it's really nice to to see that something uh, works as expected. So yeah, from the small let's say side project improvement by improvement, you get to to something we call at the moment work contracts. And so, what is it? What, how how do you communicate the value proposition of of warp beyond beyond obviously the ability to enable people to build on our wave? Uh, what's the value prop for? warp smart contracts over maybe other smart contract languages? So I think in terms of something unique, because you, you get a plenty of other smart contract platforms, but our roots are in, in Arweave. So, so a platform when you can upload tons of data, a really large volume of data, and we can natively tap to that data and allow you to, to process that, to instruct interesting information to add like uh, some monetization your incentivization layer on top of the data. So if you are building like a, a social media platforms, when you handle like tons of posts or like video streaming platform, music streaming platform, if you're handling the, the personal data, if you're handling documents, etc., that's a really nice solution. Anything that involves a lot of data, even like social apps, when there's a lot of activities driven by users, then that could be a really nice fit. And also we got a different model of reaching consensus. So we, we separate the, the code interactions from the actual states. So there is no limit for how fast uh, certain operations should be executed to fit into a block, which is a big bottleneck for larger and more complex pieces of, of computation. So if you are, for example, doing some, some heavy processing of information, like we, we got some ideas during hackathons with, with actually using machine learning, utilizing warp on top of a large pieces of data, then, then that's probably the, the only smart contract platform you can implement that. 
How does how does your team think about getting more and more developers to use Warp? Because, like you mentioned, there is there is a lot of competition in the smart contract platform space. How do you convince people to build on Warp? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so it's not it's not easy. I think everyone is preaching let's get the next million developers, but it's we we should better than just let's say. Uh, advertise, go ask for developers, or just publish a, a short video. What we do, we want to focus on two, two aspects first, to, to make the development really easy. And we constantly iterate our SDK. We, we added some extra tools, like the command light interface. We added tools to explore what's happening within your smart contracts. We call it Sona. AR, so sonar, so we can look into the smart contracts, what was, what went wrong, were there any issues? It's a really convenient tool for, for debugging and browsing the activity. So a lot of really convenient tools. So that's the developer like find it easy to build. And also the second part is how to educate developers. So they're coming from various environments. Some of them are coming from web two, others are coming from other platforms. So we wanted to offer them a comprehensive guide. So apart from the usual documentation, we, we built something we called Warp Academy. And it's a set of four tutorials end to end, like starting with a basic concept, what is blockchain, how are we forks, etc. And then we guide them to implement a small dab. So focus on the, the smart contract side, but also focus like how to implement testing, how to deploy your contracts, how to connect that to user interface and at the end they get to a point when they get a fully functional decentralized application and it usually takes like a few hours so so we get four uh, tutorials for that and we get a really positive feedback so just trying to to help as much as possible offer the support to developers being active on on, on discord and i think that's that's uh, that's the advice Education is obviously a massive one in this mm-hmm, space. Yeah. Where, where do you see the other hurdles in terms of getting Web2 developers to transition to Web3 uh, beyond, beyond the obvious one being the condition of the crypto market itself? Yeah. Honestly, we, we are still very early. Like the, the Web2 and all of the tooling took some time. So it started in the 90s and probably right now even we got some improvements with different web2 platforms framework etc so it need to take time and we are less advanced definitely there's like less less builders less developers etc so we need to constantly improve that and also like there's a big mm, shift of the mindset when instead of having a central server and like a user server architecture you get the, the concept of the, the centralized execution and also you get the concept of users actually owning their, their assets and their wallets and all of the intricacies of, of handling private keys, connecting to wallets, etc. So that's that's probably the, the first big hurdle for developers to, to understand like how users interact with your application. And for, you, for yourself, when you began building protocols, where, where did you find the biggest sort of the steepest learning curves uh, beginning on Redstone? I think it's it's really tempting to to go for some, to take some, for example, shortcuts and, and, and centralize a bit of the solution because you got the tools, you got the infrastructure, you got 
everything in place and it will definitely much faster. But we try to balance it and, and see the real value in the centralization because the centralization is like for the bad weather. If anything goes wrong, if, if the users are cut off from the access to, let's say, the, the storage providers, and it happened in the past, right? and we, we are be dependent on the, on the wheel of the, the big players. So, so being still, let's say, robust enough to, to keep the infrastructure that is maintained by individuals, it's, it's very valuable. So although in a few places, especially in, in sequencer, which is a very tricky part that cannot be easily decentralized, we use uh, our own node, then we always allow everyone to bypass the, the solution. So we always try to imagine how the protocol will work if the redstone is down, if the redstone is not existing, if the redstone disappears, it should be stable enough, it should be fully functional without us. So that's that's the, the strong assumption we, we take. On, on that note about not sacrificing decentralization for centralization, uh, could you give listeners a brief intro to the Oracle problem, uh, sort of how you guys have thought about it at Redstone as well, and whether you think there'll ever be a completely elegant solution to it? So if, even if Oracles, we are constantly improving, progressing, and there's like a lot of open challenges in, in this space. So Chainly definitely they got a really solid working model, but it's like very traditional. So, so aggregate data, put that on chain. And there are like fascinating solutions when there is a lot of research, like how can we, one side of the research is how can we implement a correct incentive scheme, like how to secure the, the quality of data service on the economic layer, like how to incentivize the providers to keep the, the real reliable data stream, like how to reward them and how to punish them if they are not doing their work properly. So I think that's one of super interesting research area. Another one is uh, purely on the technical side. So how can we make sure that the data that is being taken from the outside world, even using the HTTP requests, it's really the data that is going to be injected into the, the blockchain protocol that's, you know, that's connected to the, to the TLS uh, notary. Okay, so TLS notary is a concept that's currently being developed by the Ethereum Foundation. So the next iteration of, of this uh, technology to actually attest the, the communication with the web APIs. And it's still in, in development. We, we, we tried using that, we tried connecting, but it's still not major enough to be used in production, but we're super excited. That maybe in a year or two, we'll be able to prove that the communication with external APIs is bulletproof and could be fully verified. And also there is a concept of using the low level enclaves for the data processing which is also in research and development mode. It's not like very efficient to be put into production, but that's super fascinating. And third, you get the zero knowledge proofs, which are getting better and better and more efficient. And connecting that to Oracle should be the, the next logical step. So there's a lot of stuff happening. Some of them are early stage, but I think in, the, in a few years, the, the, the Oracle space could 
the mm, transformer look much different than how it works today. On on that note, what what do you see as being the coolest or most innovative things that zero knowledge proofs will open up for oracles? Yeah, so, so, the, so the ability to actually prove a certain statement about your data without revealing the data. So not only be more efficient, but I think in terms of the preserving the, the privacy of users and uh, of data, that will be a really big enabler if we can connect that to, to the solution based on digital identity or your financial activities outside of the blockchain space and how to plug it into the DeFi space that could be a really game changer. Something that came across a lot earlier as well when you were talking about how you thought about uh, Redstone in particular's tech stack was that, that commitment to decentralization and something that can run uh, persistently even if, even if there is a single point of failure in any given part. How do you then sort of think about protocol upgrades because uh, obviously there, there comes a point if you if you want something to run in permanence that it has to be left. Uh, <laughs> what's sort of your philosophy on on where upgrades stop and when you and the team sort of step back from the project? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely. I think there's a spectrum where you know we want to offer the users enough freedom to decide whether they want to upgrade to a certain version of protocol. But on the other hand, you do not want to add too much of the chaos because people are lazy and if there is too much freedom left on their side, they simply can be lost. So, so what we are doing at the moment, we, with every, we, we try to have like mm, to group some changes, like to have some, only a few versions of the protocols, not to have like a, like dozens or like a few dozens of the protocol versions. So we. We propose, let's say, the new iteration of the protocol. We obviously need to audit that. We cannot rely that the, that the user will take a nightly build and then deploy that into production, because definitely that could be a disaster. So a well-audited, check, verified, tested new new version of the protocol. It's offered to the users. Obviously, we also run part of the infrastructure with our referential nodes and then communicate to, to both the, the, the protocols that are using that solution, what are the, the advantages of switching to the new versions and to the node operators. That is really worth going after users need and, and trying to, to upgrade. Hmm. And so would, would you trend then towards a model of user governance? Or will, will yes. you find, yeah. So, so we do not have any, say like offer official Governance um, solutions, governance solutions. When you vote with tokens, like which version of the protocols will be implemented, everywhere we we rather try to communicate to users that there is a new version and why you should adapt to that. But we leave the the freedom to switch to them. Mm. And what are sorry the biggest challenges that you guys are coming up against uh, at this time um, as as a protocol? I think the way to properly audit, test, and, and verify every every upgrade is a, a very challenging task. So, so we we run a lot of monitoring. Obviously, we we offer new new paradigm both in oracles and in smart contracts. And if you are building something new, there is always a possibility that you may get something wrong. So, so testing that properly, 
is a challenge. So we get obviously external audits, but we also internally test the infrastructure, trying to to turn off different elements of the system and see if it's functioning. That's that's a lot of fun. We try to to put down deliberately part of the of the system and see whether it can it can recover, whether it works, etc. So I think that's that's the, the biggest biggest challenge, like how to be stable, secure, but still remain decentralized. And do you, do you think there will ever be feasibly be a way to, to iterate iterate quicker with, with your auditing and testing? Or because you, you rely on sort of centralized parties for auditing, it will always be a bit slower? Yeah, unfortunately, auditing is, is not the, the, the quickest process. And I, I don't think like speeding that up would be a good idea. And I, our approach is like mm, on the on certain parts, try to actually move, move slower. Like say, try to, to de- tune down a lot of enthusiasm and and try to really test the solution. Even in the smart contracts, I think like a good friend of mine is very traditional and very focused on the on the quality. So we got all of the regression tests with all of the transactions that were ever posted into. That even though he's not smart with and and he constantly checks everything and even if there's like a single transaction that doesn't work we try to investigate that obviously that's very time consuming often frustrating but i think it's necessary step to to try to achieve this 100 percent correctness it's i think it's much needed in that space when you think when you think about the future and you think about what are the most ambitious things that warp smart contracts or possibly even any other kind of smart contracts uh, will enable. What do, you, what do you think will be the most ambitious use cases maybe five or 10 years from now? I think my, my bet, my personal bet is, is on the, the volume of data that we are into the space. So, so, so currently we are doing something relatively not so much complicated. Like we are transferring tokens with just a single change in the in the ledgers and it works fine. We can try, we can obviously try to scale it to fit more simple transaction to block time. But actually what will be much more um, interesting is to see the the proper volume of data entering the space, like with the traditional web too. When we get more data from, from user activity, from advertisement, etc., it allowed uh, some companies to build amazing projects and I think the same could happen in, into the blockchain space. If we start processing a large amount of data in a decentralized and more important in a privacy preserving way, that could open doors to many, many amazing applications. Is, is there anything in the ecosystem that's missing that's needed to enable that? Or is it more about the rolling out of existing technology? Yeah, I think we, we still need to upgrade. So. As I mentioned, building warp, we, we got a different approach with a more modular consensus model. Because in the traditional way, we, we won't be able to, to fit so much data into the processing. And it's a novel concept. So we started the building that a year ago. Obviously, there are other ideas. So Celestia is doing an amazing job on that. Obviously, there is the, the next phase of Ethereum with search when they will also allow more data to enter the space with the data availability proof. So it's, we are still very early, honestly, like it started probably to be put in production a year or two years ago. And uh, we need to um, optimize the technology. We need to run tests, we need to do a bit of research. So 
having more data into the space, I think that's that's my bet, and that's what is super exciting. And also, how we can connect to the, the zero knowledge proof and other privacy preserving technologies that would be like super interesting. Where where do you see the the major value in privacy? Because that's obviously a space that's become quite popular. Um, how, how are you thinking about that space? I think that the, the current situation where where all of the the data is actually owned by by big players, and you didn't have any control. You didn't have control what what piece of data is shared to whom, etc. It's it's not very sustainable. Obviously, it's like easy, but if you have like a fully mm, full data sovereignty, hands of the users, and then they can decide only to share certain attestations. I think that personally, I, I, I like much more this, this model of the future of the the web development. Uh, are there any other of those major issues where sort of the big Web two players were sort of encroached on a lot of those privacy elements? Are there are there any other big Web two problems that you think have been sort of underappreciated in terms of their ability to be solved by Web three protocols? Yeah. So also, what I'm really uh, super impressed by by this Web three is the openness. So. If you try to to integrate with, if you try to build a new project, product based on the existing Web two infrastructure, I think all of the the existing companies are quite mm, protective about their their resources, I mean, their their data, their user activities, their their APIs, etc. So it's not easy to roll out a new product externally, and in the Web three. There is still a lot of interoperability. So the protocols are open. Anyone can start coding and integrate with a few of them without engaging into business meetings, discussion about the revenue shares, etc. So it's like a very long process in the, the old world when you try to build a new product. And in the Web3, you simply build a set of smart contracts, talking to other smart contracts, and that's it. So you do not have this, this gate from inter integrating with others and it worked amazingly in the DeFi space in the last years and I see we can see similar solutions building on top of the, the social apps or with the media apps in, in terms of what's happening right now on Arif. So the, the radical openness and the, the ease of integrating with existing product and solution that's I think that could be a game changer. It's just that the space evolves at much higher speed if you do not need to have a separate technical and business team discussing terms of integrations. Mm. Well, I think I think I think that's a, a very warranted answer. What's what's sort of next for you guys at Warp and Redstone? What what are you working towards uh, in 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 the near future? And are there any other problems that you're looking at solving? Mm. So 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 with Redstone, we are like super excited about two two angles in terms of the product development. So. So first, integrating with Lens protocol and tapping into the, the data about social activity of users. And also, we are getting the, the publicly available data about um, user financial activities to offer uh, a new models of the decentralized KYC checks for targeted for the DeFi protocols. So that's super 
exciting. So to, to take the on-chain data and provide it back on-chain, but fully processed and, mm, and digestible and easy to use for other protocols. And also we'll be launching our, let's say, official testnet when we allow more uh, entities, more users to, to spin off their own nodes and participate in the network. On the warp side, we are constantly trying to, to optimize the, the execution layer. We'll be rolling out the decentralized execution nodes. At the moment, we got a few sets of these nodes, evaluating the, the tokens or the, the NFTs, but we try to, to expand it and offer it to, to broader range of potential use cases, like to be able to evaluate any smart contracts in a fully decentralized way with a proper set of incentives. So that's that's the plan. And also there are like tons of small upgrades, like a very technical, like how to make the, the platform more secure and and easier to use for, for the developers. If if you if you are a developer, I not yourself, um looking looking to explore building on on top of warp warp smart contracts for the first time. Um, what, what, what would you want to build on top of warp? Oh, it's a really good, good question. So the one solution that I'm really missing in, in the space, so probably like more gaming solution, but not in terms like very, uh, let's say simple financial games with, with betting, but something that have like more data, like the, like for example, trading card games. Like they're like extremely popular off chain, and I'd love to see that being built on top of Warp, like the ability to build like a Pokemon or Warhammer, when you can really own the the cards that you got, and you can play with others in a transparent way, you have access to the history, and you can trade your your cards. That will be something super cool. So that's one of the use cases, and also I'm quite excited about seeing more. Uh, machine learning application like trying to extract the real value from the data yeah i think the, the game the gaming one's a very interesting one because it's something that the the rweave ecosystem hasn't seen much of but it is quite interesting because of the obvious utility to have nfts stored in permanence uh, in terms in terms of the machine learning this is <laughs> this is the last follow-up question i'll ask because i am i am very interested but what what sort of models would you want to run uh, with machine learning on top of warp I think for for machine learning, you need to have data, and I think at the moment it's still like too 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 early to have something valuable there. But we can start with a simple simple models like mm, classifications of, of data, trying to, to for example, if, even if all of the texts that 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 we we got and we input on R with like the natural language processing models trying to implement that and trying to scan through all of the content that will be that will be super interesting to, to be able to see and if it's done in a decentralized way or if it's done in a really open way that anyone can can propose an upgrade to a model when the data is like a common good that that will be super interesting to to see lastly just want to thank you again very much for, for coming on Jakub uh, and, and to all those listening uh, a reminder to give uh, Jakub Wojciechowski and Redstone Finance and Warp Smart Contracts uh, a follow on Twitter and check out their websites because uh, they're building some really cool stuff. Uh, all the best.
Thanks so much for listening to that latest episode of Hands' Protocol Weekly. I deeply hope you enjoyed it. If you want to stay up to date with our podcast every week, follow The Firm or myself on Twitter at Hands underscore network or at AHR Whitford. Even better, uh, if you're a best case scenario where this episode has motivated you to start your own protocol, I'd recommend heading to our website at handsa.network and reaching out to the Accelerator Investments team through our founder forums there. I've been your host, Archie Whitford. Thanks for tuning in and look forward to next time.